of grace already given. For the law has, was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship to the Father, has made him known. So far from John. Thanks, Kim. I love what Derek said uh, as we're coming into this festive season, may that um, sort of festive joy uh, be with us. Um, but we also know, as Derek also pointed out, that at Christmas time all the difficult things don't suddenly just go away. Uh, so I'm just hoping and praying that the text this morning might refocus us on the Lord Jesus Christ and that we might um, grow in joy in him but that also, if we are going through difficult times, uh, that we might find in Jesus real hope and, uh, and, and real comfort that we might need uh, over the next uh, coming uh, weeks and, and months. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would illuminate this uh, text to us today. There is just so much in it and we can only begin really to look at, at it and look at the wonders of who you are and the wonders of what you have done for us. Lord, we pray that you would guide us and give us understanding and we give you all the honour and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, some, uh, just a few weeks ago, I had to take a family reunion uh, at uh, Kirkland's Church, which is just a little bit outside of Campbelltown. It's a 200-year uh, family reunion. And uh, after the, or, or during the service, they actually gave me the book that was put together, uh, The History of the Family. And it's a, a big book like that, and, you know, that, that um, huge thing, lots of work uh, would have gone into it. And uh, the committee signed it, uh, thanking me for taking that service. Um, after the service, we were standing outside and it was really busy, lots of people around, lots of talking and so on. And a lady came to me and she said, oh, would you like me to sign the book? And, and I thought she was one of the family and I said, oh, yes, please, that would be great. Um, but what I didn't realise, I, I, I just failed in the busyness of it all to understand the situation and it's not till I got home and I opened up the book and realised that it was the author who had signed the book. And uh, in the busyness of it all, I just misunderstood. I just thought she was one of the family. Not that that makes her any less important. But had I known and had I had time, I would have loved to have talked to her um, because she would have just put so much work into the book and, and it would have been really good to have a chat with her about it. But I just misunderstood the, the situation. Um, some time ago, a newspaper thought they'd do an experiment and uh, they had Joshua Bell, who is one of the very best violinists in the world, and they had him play in the train station like he's a, a, a busker. And uh, as people were, were you know, go, coming and going, catching trains, uh, virtually no one stopped, they, they hardly noticed him. I mean, maybe some people walking past might have thought, oh, he's not bad. 
um, you know, he's pretty good. But, but in the busyness of life, of trying to get to work and get around the place, uh, people just completely underrated the situation because here was one of the very best violinists in the world playing one of the most expensive violins in the world and playing one of the hardest pieces for a violinist to play. And that, that situation is completely, completely missed, just went past people in the busyness of life. And yet the very next day, uh, he was playing in a concert hall and people were paying huge amounts of money and, and, and very excited about going to see this violinist. And yet there in the train station, he hardly uh, rated a mention. And I believe that in a similar way, the baby Jesus in a manger is the most underrated and misunderstood event of all time. Because in the busyness of running our own lives, humanity has failed to appreciate God entering the world as a human. And John, in his stunning prologue, which Derek just read for us, his prologue to his gospel account, he highlights that Jesus, divine, eternal, becomes a man who he will be forevermore. God and man, two natures in one. And not just for 33 years of his earthly ministry, but forevermore. Because Jesus, both God and resurrected human, will be like that for all of eternity. You see, some people argue and they think, some theologians, uh, they've been the minority. They, they just say, oh, well, uh, Jesus became human for 33 years of his ministry, but then that was the end. After that, that, that part of it stopped. You know, it's a bit like, oh, well, I've got that done, that's all done and dusted, and now I'll go back just to being God. But the Bible makes it clear that Jesus will be God and man, resurrected man, for all of eternity, forevermore. Will he be a bit different? Yes, he's a he has a glorified, resurrected body. And if you read Revelations, uh, it, it talks about the light of God, you know, providing light for us. We won't need the sun, we won't need the moon, uh, but God himself will give us light. So yes, God is going to be amazing. Jesus is going to be amazing. But nonetheless, he also forevermore will have a resurrected human body and that is amazing it's astounding it's a mystery as we try and ponder it we think how can that be it's hard to really imagine you know god or, or jesus being human and and being divine all in one but what amazes me more is that god loves us so much that he would actually do that for us. John says in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. 
He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Have you ever been driving uh, on the country road, perhaps up the Midlands Highway, and you see orange lights on a car up ahead and it might have other lights flashing and you know or something's up here and as the car comes closer, you see a big yellow sign and on it, it has writing, uh, it, it might, might have huge load following or, or, or something like that. That car is testifying that something bigger, something greater is coming. And as you get up the road a bit, uh, you might see a, a semi-trailer and it might have a house on it taking up uh, most of the road. In a similar way, John the Baptist came proclaiming that someone greater is coming. He was like that car with the orange lights flashing, saying, hey, someone greater is coming. And let's put that in a little bit of context. At that time when Jesus came, there had not been a prophet in Israel for 430 years. That's a bit like us looking back to 1591. That's a long time ago, isn't it? There had not been a prophet for 430 years. And the Jews recognised that. Jewish writings in that time acknowledged that there was no prophet. God was not speaking to them. It was sometimes known as the silence of heaven. And in Bible terms, we look at that time between the Old and New Testaments as the silent years. Imagine the excitement. Someone comes running down the road and they bang on your door. There is a prophet. There is a prophet out in the wilderness by the Jordan. God is speaking to us again. And it was such big news that the Bible tells us all of Jerusalem and Judea came out to hear. But as great as it is to after 430 years to have a prophet, John says that someone greater is coming. And we testify to someone far greater. This Christmas time, we testify to someone far greater who is in our life. And that's what we're meant to do. 1 Peter 2 tells us, and this is about us. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Friends, isn't that amazing? You know, as we've come in here to church, I don't know how you were feeling about yourself or about this gathering here, but look at what the Bible says about us. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. 
And we are to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Someone greater is coming. John the Baptist said, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Friends, we have someone far greater in our life. That is our message this Christmas time. And the disciple John, the writer of this gospel, tells us that John the Baptist is testifying about the life and light. In verse 4, in him was life, that's in Jesus, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus has always been. We'll have a look at that in a moment, at what John is saying. Jesus has always been. He is eternal. And yet we are told that Jesus, the life and light, enters time and space. He enters his own creation in human form. And as a man, Jesus enters human history as the life and the light. It's amazing. It's staggering how underrated it is when people look at the baby in the manger and they think, oh, nothing in that. And friends, this time and space, this human history is a dark place. And the darkness tries to extinguish the light. So King Herod tried to take Jesus' life when he was just a few months old. And the religious leaders, they opposed Jesus throughout his whole public ministry, even when John the Baptist was there proclaiming that someone greater is coming. They already sent out people to question him. They were already to defend their own position and to put down this supposed uh, new news. And of course, finally, we come to the cross where Jesus suffered so horribly and he's put to death. But John says here, the darkness did not overcome the light. Now, this darkness in which we live is a scary place. There are tragic accidents. And we saw one just this week in, uh, in Tasmania. But we know that there are tragic accidents happening all the time on our roads and all kinds of different things are happening and there may, may even be some of us here today who are grieving over uh, some accidents like that. Friends, in this world it, it is full of grief and uh, it, it, it's full of loss. There are disasters. It just seems constantly on the news around the world there are just these natural disasters of different kinds happening and, and, and I don't know sometimes whether we can appreciate it. They, it seems to come so thick and fast but just sometimes hundreds and even thousands of people are just perishing in some of these uh, disasters and, uh, and, and, and there are loved ones you know, who are having to cope with all of that. Uh, grief going on. 
We have COVID in the world and all the difficulties that uh, that brings. And then there's, uh, there's illness. People are constantly uh, battling with illness. And then we have crime. And, and, you know, we look at the crime we hear on the news and we think, this is just crazy. Why do people do this? And then there is abuse. Abuse of vulnerable people. Abuse of our, our children. It's horrendous what we hear happens uh, in, in our world. Uh, there are wars, just constantly wars going on and there's corruption and there's lies and, and then there's just that struggle that we have with our own sin and our own selfishness. I don't know how you feel but sometimes I just look at myself and I think I'm pathetic. I say to God, why, God, why do you put up with me? Honestly, you know, sometimes it's just such a struggle to walk in holiness and and righteousness before the Lord and to stop being selfish and self-centred and actually do things for people and stop just being, you know, comfortable. So this, um, this darkness in which we live, which, which has come in through the fall and through sinfulness and it's just brought, brought about so many consequences, um, it, the darkness is a scary place. And you know what John's message is in that scary place, in the darkness, is come to the light. Come to the light. And who is the light? Jesus is the light. Jesus created us and he sustains us. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. That is amazing. Jesus sustains us by his powerful word. If Jesus took away his powerful word, we would just cease to exist. And yet people look at this baby in the manger and go, there's nothing there. What's that? That's just nothing. That's just a silly story. Jesus has eternal life. John chapter 6 Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Friends, if you've come in here today and you're spiritually thirsty, if you're spiritually hungry, come to Jesus, come to the light and the life and you will never be spiritually hungry or thirsty ever again. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And John chapter 6, Simon Peter answered Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that's the question, to whom shall we go? Who else has the words of eternal life. There is no one else. There is no one else to whom we can go for eternal life. That's why in Acts 4 we read, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. John shows us 
in this text this morning how amazing Jesus is, that he's not just a baby in a manger. Verse 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. That's a stunning three verses in the Bible. And, and John just says so much. We'll just have a look at an incy-wincy bit of it today. But just to capture again who Jesus is, that even in our Christianity, we don't get blasé about our faith or about Jesus whom we follow. John says, and the word was with God. And, or let's read it like this, and, and Jesus was with the Father. So Jesus is separate from the Father because God is three persons or, as Calvin puts it, three subsistences, um, three persons in one God. And, and, you know, if we struggle to understand that, and some people do, some people think, oh, I just can't get my thinking around that, don't be concerned about that because how could we expect to? God is unique. God is God. The God who creates everything that we see around us is just so far above us that if we think, oh, hey, I can't get my thinking around this, I can't understand it, well, then probably we should actually expect that, that we're not going to fully understand God. But he chooses to reveal himself to us as the triune God, because that is who he is. God is the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And let's just appreciate him for who he is as best as we can understand him. Human analogies just can't explain God. I've heard people, you know, try and explain the Trinity and they, they say it's a bit like water. You know, you can have uh, water and it can be uh, liquid or it can be steam, or it can be ice. You know, the same water can be all three things. But, of course, that falls down straight away because it can't be all three things at the one time. God can. I've even heard the Trinity being explained uh, like being like a, uh, a tub of Neapolitan ice cream. So you lift up the lid and there's the vanilla, the strawberry and the chocolate, it's all separate, you know, ice cream, but there it is, it's all one tub. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's a bit funny, isn't it? And, and, uh, and, and I think that really falls well short of trying to explain the Trinity. But if it helps a little bit, then, you know, so be it. But friends, God is unique and he's just wonderful and absolutely amazing. And no, we will never fully understand him. And even in the heavenlies, in glory, we will never understand the fullness of God because God is God and we will never be God. We will live with him forever in resurrected bodies and we will know him in a way we don't know him now. But we will never be God. We will never understand the mysteries and the awesomeness and the amazingness and the power of God. And John says, and the word was God or Jesus was God so Jesus was God and therefore he is God. He was before the creation. He always has been. He is eternal and infinite. Jesus is all-powerful. 
He's everywhere present and he is all-knowing. Imagine that, this baby in the manger that people say, oh, there's nothing in there. And, and, and yet this baby in the manger is all-powerful, all-knowing. He's everywhere present. He is God come into the world as a human being. It's amazing. In the beginning, John says, so at the time of the creation of the world and the heavenly host that we see, Jesus, as a member of the Godhead, made the creation. He made the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, and every living form, including us. Time and space are his creation, and we live historically within that time and space. Jesus isn't limited by the timeline in which we live because he created it. Have you ever thought about that? That God created time. He created space. Because before that, God just is. God is outside of all that. It's hard for us to get our thinking around. But God is amazing. Jesus is amazing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What's this Word business, you know, that John's talking about here? What does he mean by that? Well, the Greek was logos. And it was a term Greeks used of the spoken word, but also of the unspoken word, and the word still in the mind, or the reason. And when they applied it to the universe, that word, they meant the rational principle that governs all things. So, uh, sorry, John is, is saying that Jesus is the rational principle to govern all things. That's what he's saying to the Gentile world. The Jews, however, see the Logos as the word of God or the law of God by which he created the world and governs it and, and he gave it to the Israelites to be their life. So what is John saying in all of this? He's saying a whole lot. He's saying to the Jews that Jesus is the word who created the world and governs it and is our life. So by writing this at the time, 2,000 years ago when John wrote it, he immediately has the attention of the Greek or the Gentile world and also the Jew. And it's a brilliant opening to the gospel account because John is claiming that Jesus, a human, is the word. And friends, really, it's an outrageous claim that he's making because he's saying a man, this man Jesus, created the world, he governs it, and he is our life. And that's outrageous unless Jesus is more than a man, unless he's also God. Many people in the world acknowledge Jesus as a historical figure, and some people even say, oh, he was a good man. But they can't go that step further to also appreciate that Jesus is God. Verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So his own people, Israel, they did not receive Jesus. And if you take it out a little bit further, Jesus' very own creation, 
did not recognise him as the creator and rejected him. And friends, it's still the same today. The majority of the world rejects Jesus as their creator. But what does the true light mean when John says that Jesus is the true light coming into the world? Well, on my four-wheel drive that I drive around the, the countryside with, uh, the headlights on it, I think they're substandard for a modern vehicle. So there you go, I should write to the manufacturer. Um, and they're these yellowish lights that don't seem to do anything, even on high beam, not very much. But I've got a light bar on the car, which is 10 LED lights, and when I flick that on, suddenly this yellowy light becomes bright white and it illuminates the sides of the roads and everything in front of me just becomes this brilliant white. But, you know, that's nothing compared to those people who drive around with those huge round um, driving lights on the car, you know, with an array of all these LED lights. That's far greater, far brighter. And, and you might have been on a country road at night and long before you can see the actual car, you can see, like, suddenly the countryside just lights up and you think, what's that light coming um, towards me? Is John suggesting that when Jesus comes as the true light, like, does he turn up the light again? Does he become even brighter, like even more spotlights or something shining? Well, we know that can't be true. That's not at all what John can possibly mean because Jesus didn't come into the world in glory. He came just like you and I. So when John talks about the pure, uh, sorry, about the light, he talks about the purity of God. He talks about God's own righteousness and God's holy character. And God's light exposes the evil darkness of this world but the darkness pushes back and tries to destroy God's light. And that's the battle that we're in. That's what we see happening all around us in our life is that there we are trying to shine the light of Jesus, but constantly we feel that the darkness is pushing back, always trying to extinguish the light. The darkness hates the purity the, the, the darkness hates the righteousness and the holiness of God. And look at the cross. When darkness thought that it had destroyed the light, darkness thought it had won, and yet Jesus burst back to life and the light of God was revealed in glory. Because you see, the cross is the glory of God. The cross reveals the power of God. The cross reveals the wisdom of God. The cross reveals the grace of God. And so John writes in verse 12, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And that is the Christmas message. That is the salvation message. If we receive Jesus, we are born of God. We have new life in Christ. And the Bible says we become children of the light. In verse 14, the word became flesh 
and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. What an amazing line. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Paul Barnett, an Anglican bishop and historian and New Testament scholar, he writes, human words fail to capture the mystery and the majesty of the incarnation of the word. And the famous theologian Karl Barth said, Christmas can only be understood as a wonder. And C.S. Lewis called it the grand miracle. Jesus coming into the world as one of us. It's a bit like Queen Elizabeth rings you up one day and says, I am going to come and live in your house from now on. We'd quickly be getting out the fine china, wouldn't we? And doing the dusting and the vacuum cleaning. But imagine if Queen Elizabeth said that. She, she said to us, I'm coming to live in your house. I'm still going to be the queen. I'll still be royal. I'm still going to do all my queenly and royal duties, but I'm going to live with you as a commoner. She would never do that, would she? And we would never expect that. But God did. God did. God said, I am going to come and live with you in your house. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. John the author saw the glory of Jesus' birth. He saw Jesus for real. He touched him. He, 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 he lived with him. He saw his miracles. He saw the cross. He saw the resurrection. And he saw the ascension. And he sees that Jesus is full of grace and truth because Jesus brought the truth of man's sin and the truth of God's glory. He brought the truth of humanity's darkness and the truth of God's light. And Jesus brought grace, God's undeserved love, which he displayed on the cross. And I just want to finish with a story. And I could have picked any story, but I think this just shows us something. A girl called Sita, who lives in Nepal, Sita was only eight years old when she got leprosy. It was physically painful, but more than that, there was emotional pain of growing up with the disease. Sita remembers the trouble she had making friends when she was young because of the leprosy. Other children just didn't understand and didn't want to have anything to do with her. And Sita for four years battled through the physical and emotional pain. And when she was 12 years old, she got treatment for her leprosy at a hospital uh, in Nepal. The it was a Christian hospital. Doctors and staff at the hospital treated Sita for her disease and also cared for her in a way that demonstrated God's love. It was through her treatment for leprosy, given with love, that she came to know Jesus Christ and became a believer. And she was so transformed and healed 
by her positive experience of the love of God that Sita eventually went on to work at the hospital so that she could pass on that love in, in turn. Sita came from suffering in this dark, scary world to the grace of Jesus. She came to his light and his life. And there are so many stories, millions of stories, of people coming from tragedy and sorrow and loneliness and grief in this dark, scary place, coming to Jesus, into Jesus' light and his life and his grace. If you have not already, if you are still living in this dark, scary place, Today, today you can come to the light and life and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why put it off to tomorrow? Why would you? The very greatest single act that you could ever do in your life for all of eternity. Today, John is crying out for it to us in this text God is crying out saying come to the light and probably for most of us who've already done that then may that the joy of the light and life and grace of Jesus fill our hearts and as we grapple with some of the the dark scary things that happen, the challenges in our life that are going to keep going on all our life till the day that we die, may we find strength and grace and love and, and just the ability to go on because Jesus is in our life. You know, Jesus, God Almighty, who created everything, Jesus, who is everywhere present, who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing, loves us so, so much that he humbled himself to come and to dwell with us. He became a commoner to dwell with us because he loves us so much. Friends, may that just fill our hearts with thanksgiving and joy and give us hope in this dark and scary world. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh Lord, we thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you for who you are. Lord, the words just fail us when we contemplate all of this. But Lord, we, we say again, Lord, from the depths of our hearts, thank you. And, and we give you the honour. We give you the praise, Lord. Oh, we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and we'll sing our last song.
That concludes our time of worship. Now please go with this blessing from Jude, verse 24 and 25. To, whom, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you. So just a quick announcement. Sorry. Before you are allowed to get coffee this morning, uh, there's a few tasks to be done. So we would like the tables that have been, there's 16 tables, just to be pulled into the middle and the chairs that are here to be gathered around the table. So that'll take us maybe 10 minutes or so. So if the, the young and strong ones can help us just to get the setup and... Uh, then we will lift the ban on the coffee table. Thank you.